Welcome to the business of wellness. Today's guest is a true wellness expert and the perfect guest for this podcast. Listeners, if you are new, if you're a repeat listener, you are going to love today's episode. I think I learned, I personally learned so much from speaking with Joanna Sapir. She is a wellness business coach who teaches holistic wellness practitioners how to streamline their processes and create systems to take back their time, have steady monthly income, and more repeat clients in their businesses. I was honestly at a bit of a crossroads <laughs> the morning that I spoke with Joanna and she tr- she helped me through it both on in this interview and off air. So you're going to hear a little bit about how we talked through this, her process for helping others talk through problems that are similar to mine. You will hear about all of it. I cannot recommend working with Joanna enough. All of her information is linked in our episode notes today. So definitely check those out after you've had a chance to listen to the episode. I think you're really going to get a lot from this free asset for you and for, for leveling up your business. And I also think there there is very there are very few people that I can honestly say I would recommend maybe looking into working one-on-one with. And this is, Joanna is absolutely one of those people. I was really impressed by this interview. So I think you're going to love it. Let me know what you think by leaving a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, of course. And you can follow me, find me on any and all social media platforms at Jacqueline London RD and at Jacqueline London on TikTok. All right, guys, have a wonderful time listening to today's episode with Joanna Sapir, and I'll see you on the other side. All right. Wonderful. Joanna Sapir, welcome to the business of wellness. I'm thrilled to have you. I was just raving to you about how about how hearing from you today feels a little bit beshared. It feels like it was truly meant to be. I feel like our listeners have so much to hear from you about and so much to so much to glean, so much information to glean from you. So let's just dive right in. First, okay. tell us, give us a little bit about you. Just a just a quick backstory. Because, of course, we're going to link to everything important for you in this episode, but I want to make sure that you have the opportunity to introduce yourself a bit. Okay. Really quick backstory, which is hard. I'm (laughs) I'm about to turn 50, so it's a lot of years, but uh, really short. I was a high school teacher who somehow accidentally started a strength and conditioning gym with no background in business whatsoever, hit burnout really fast, realized that I needed to actually figure out how to run a business learned how to run a business really well, sold it, and now I help wellness practitioners learn how to streamline and systematize their businesses to be more profitable and sustainable. We all need you. We all, I'm just going to say that's just going to speak for all of us when I say that we all need you. What, what was it, if you had to give us one thing from your fitness business that is the main takeaway of like something you, you really learned going into your next adventure and starting this new chapter, what, what's kind of like your one main takeaway from all of it? And I know one is probably very limiting, but I'm sure you have yeah. something good. Yeah. I mean, there's so many things, but I think, you know, when I said I hit burnout, um, Basically, like the most important thing is understanding we we don't get into wellness professions because we want to be business people. It's just not oh. the motivation, right? And yes. so we get into we end up in business, but we're there to help people and serve people with these skills that we have. And so we spend a lot of time learning more skills for our practices, learning more clinical skills or whatever, whatever your modality is, right? Mm-hmm. And so often don't 
put as much attention on business stuff. In fact, possibly none. It may be that you've never done anything to learn business. And so I think the big, big lesson I got right away and what I try to impart to my, my audience is if you want a successful business, you have to learn the business side of things. And mm. I'll just note, there are brilliant, amazing practitioners who are struggling financially, who right are not actually making it. And so business success has nothing to do with how good of a practitioner you are. And mm. you, I you cry. I could honestly <laughs> cry. That's the day I'm having, Joanna. <laughs> So that that's that's what I would say is like if you want to have a successful business you have to actually start developing your business skills. Okay. I mean there's so many more things I want to ask you on that but I feel like we're going to cover all of it with with some of these other questions that I need to ask you about. So I feel that one deeply, I, especially because I've been so resistant to it, right? Which is that, and I think so many of us can relate to this. And please, listeners, those of you tuning in right now, if you feel me on what I'm about to say, <laughs> definitely leave that in a review in a in in some form. Let me know that that you hear me on this. Which is that I, I feel like I have so to to such an extent resisted, and it resonates with me so much when you say this. I've resisted learning certain business related aspects, things, tools, need to knows, because I've thought I've made it this far. And I, and I've put my, you know, like, and I, being a dietitian was a second career for me. So I already like went back to learn this whole new thing already, right? Something that I, that wasn't a part of my formal training. I already spent so much time and money in graduate school mm -hmm. and learning how to do all of these new things. And then you get to this point where you're like, you've hit your groove and you really got it. And you've, you've really like, you're on it and you know what you're doing and you feel really confident about it. And then all of a sudden your confidence is just completely wiped out by realizing that if you want to do this for yourself, you don't know anything. Like you have no skills to actually help you do those things. And there's nowhere to really learn that in the school setting that was initially set up for you. I, that was like one of the harshest realities for me more recently because I've, I've had the benefit of working for larger institutions sort of up until the last couple of years. So, um, so I feel like I'm learning that every day and I'm still resistant to it. To your point, I, I'd rather go and get another certification than learn business because at least I know that I'm confident that I'll be able to learn those things because I have experience. I've practiced it, right? Yeah. And it's super common. Um, I think that I was, I'll say I, back when I started my gym, I think I was forced into it. Like I was a single mom of two little kids, like sole income. And mm. it was, and it was sort of a situation of, well, this has to work. Otherwise I got nothing or, you know, I have to move totally. in a, a different direction. So there was really like totally. a fire under my ass in that case. And, mm -hmm. and still even in the current business. So Sometimes the there's a have to, but what I would say is look at what your vision is. Mm. Like, what is it that you want your business to be? And what is it that you want your life to be and how those things, you know, would fit together? And you start going for that rather than just hoping it's going to happen by magic, right? It's like, what do I actually want this to be like? What do I want my daily life to be like? What do I want my work life to be like? 
even so far as what is my exit plan? How long do I want to do this for? Right. And Mm. when I leave this business, how do I want to be leaving it? Does it shut down? Do I pass it on to somebody? Do I sell it? Really looking in the long-term vision to get yourself out of that kind of day-by-day hamster wheel and go, what is it that I actually want to be building? That's going to give you a lot more insight and maybe motivation to decide what kind of um what kind of you know business skill development you want and need in order to create that vision right yeah so i must ask you this just because i i've been thinking about this actually and again today in particular but it's something that that comes up a lot for me which is that when i think about my vision and again please listeners excuse me because this is personal but i do also feel like this probably applies to a lot of people listening which is that I I actually feel like I want my business to be a number of different things. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that's a bad thing or a good thing, right? So I do work with brands, but I also like doing some private practice work, but I haven't found that to be um, a a sustainable business practice, which I know you have thoughts on, so I want to get into that, but (laughs) I want to get into that desperately. Um, And then I also want to work on in a consulting capacity with brands, and I like doing speaking engagements, and I've liked writing. So there's a number of things that I want this business to be. And I often find that, you know, a lot of the traditional business advice that you get is be focused, like have one specific goal and tackle that specific goal. So I wonder if you could speak to that a little, because I think, you know, in some ways I'm very torn. Like, do do I keep going with this or do I say I'm just going to focus on one specific component of this today? Yeah, this is good stuff to take to somebody like me, a business strategist or consultant who can help you tease that out. Um, Jacqueline, I would say your vision then is to have all mm-hmm. these pieces. One thing I would question in there is where you said, I like to be in private practice, but I've found it's not sustainable or lucrative. And so if somebody were coming to me and said that, I would say, okay, is your vision in having these other pieces only because you're trying to make more money? Like Mm, what's the top priority there? Is it, I really do love doing all these things or I want to be making this much and really deciding what's, what's key here, right? What's Mm -hmm. actually going to make you happy. And so teasing that out, let's just say that you really do want to be doing all those things, mm-hmm. right? The consulting, the brand building and, and, uh, uh, nutrition coaching, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say, so now we plan that out in phases of your business. And what mm-hmm. we want to do is focus on the first thing, one thing at a time, mm-hmm. get that systematized and streamlined. And the thing is that process honestly can take years right? Yeah. But get that going. And so that that can run with minimal effort on your part. And then you move into the next phase of building the next thing. And the mm-hmm. way you would decide which comes first is what's the easiest, easiest to implement and create mm-hmm. and get going and makes the most money. Because the thing is, is again, I don't know anything about your financial goals, but anybody who's in business, you're, you're in business. Mm-hmm. It, it is a for-profit yeah. business, right? And Income matters. And even if you happen to be somebody who doesn't need the personal income from it, we want your business to be funding every business pursuit you're doing. So it's kind of a red flag if it's like, well, I want to do this thing, 
amazing, but it's going to cost me so much to build this website or build this program or build these automations. Mm -hmm. It's like we want to we want to do things where the money's already coming in before we're in order to invest it in future development. So I would go to what's the easiest way for you to get going and make the most money, systematize, mm -hmm. streamline that, then move on to the second piece. It is definitely okay. yet yeah, hard. And uh, I think there's a phrase, it's something like you can't, you can't chase two rabbits and catch either one or something, you know what I mean? Because they're going every yeah. which way, right? Two different rabbits right. are just running each way. And that really is what it's like if you're trying to pursue multiple paths in your business at one time. Like you just won't, you just won't right. catch the rabbit, you know? And then you feel, and then you feel it's like a, a downward spiral. You feel like you're failing, but it's really just because focusing on one thing would help you actually get it, right. you know, you catch right. the rabbit. Oh, I love that so much. All right. So let's switch gears a little bit because it, it's on the same topic, but it's a worthwhile transition is to talk about how to say no and why saying no is so powerful. Now, I know we've all heard this before, but I feel like we need to hear it from you. <laughs> we need to hear your position on, on how to make more money as a result of saying no. This is personally, this is the position I'm in today. This is the thing that's gotten me you know, feeling a little bit beaten down, which is that I probably should have said no to something a, a while ago, which was, which put me in the position to, and I'm just going to confess this because I feel like I can tell you this. I've been with you for about 11 minutes. I, I still, I feel like, listen, I feel like I got to tell you this. I'm I, I love it. I'm all ears. I gave a brand, I offered a brand. So this is not, I didn't give it to them because I have not signed anything and this is not formalized. So this may, this, we may say no right now and stop this immediately. But I gave a brand a significant discount. I offered a very significant discount and I regretted it immediately. But really my mindset was full transparency, desperation. I just thought I want to do something. I want to do, I want to practice this type of work. And for me, a lot of the time, something I know works for me very well is that work begets more work. When I start taking on something and I get involved in a project, it gives me new ideas. It gives me a new perspective. It sometimes leads me to ask a question of someone else that might open another door, right? So my thought process was that I might be taking a 80% discount <laughs> from a client, but that I, but that I would perhaps be gaining some other things in this opportunity. Now, I... I know that my listeners will feel me on this because so many of us, dietitians, healthcare practitioners, we all do this, right? Which is to do exactly what I just said, which is to give that discount and then feel like already, I feel like my boundaries are being challenged. I can already tell you just from the communication that red flags are everywhere. <laughs> I have already had multiple encounters with this client that, that give me major pause. That's like the idea that you're actually going to meet any payment deadline or anything like that is likely not going to happen. And I already feel like you're taking significant advantage of my time simply by answering these emails and then saying we need to have an urgent quote unquote call tomorrow when you haven't responded to my last email for a week. Here we are. <laughs> Help me say no to make more money. Okay. <laughs> I'm so curious why you offered the discount. I was told um, I can't pay this at all. So like, like as in, thank you so much. Thanks for putting this together. This sounds great. Then it became clear that like this person could, could not offer to pay at all. But again, I'm full desperation. I was like, I just want to work on this. Like this sounds, this sounds interesting. Maybe I'll learn something and maybe I'll get more work from it just because of the other ideas that pop up from it. Not even because I think that this person can help me find other, <laughs> other work. I don't, it doesn't seem to be that way. 
So this is a brand client. This is not a, a personal client. So, um, and it's not an existing brand yet. That's another sort of tell, which really should have been a tell for me in the very beginning that this person was not going to be able to compensate me appropriately. Um, so, so yeah. So now I feel a little bit stuck, even though I'm not stuck. I mean, I can still get out of this. So it's not, it's not a fully <laughs> stuck thing, but it does make me think, what's wrong with me? Like, it makes me think, yeah, don't do that to yourself. Okay. So let's um, tease this apart. All right. Okay. Um, one thing you said that the fact that they don't have an existing brand that right away was assigned to you. Huge. So yeah. I think that that probably what that tells me is that you, you kind of know that, but perhaps you've never articulated um, what I call your yes, no line, like yes, yeah. clients, no clients. Yes. And so um, that is a step for everyone, for you, Jacqueline, and everyone listening to do. Yes. Which is, you know, you hear all kinds of stuff about you need to niche down and so on. A lot of people feel yes. really resistant to right. niching. I'm not actually right. talking about niching here, although it is a, a part of that process. But mm. more importantly, this is about well, what you do is you go and you look through all the people you've ever worked with mm -hmm. and you identify who were my absolute favorites. Who did I just love? Mm. And then you do the same thing and you go, who were the, you know, no, the pains in the butts, the, you know, really challenging uh, for whatever reason. And you separate those. So you take your top three to five, whatever you've got on either side. You're really lucky if you, you know, only have a few in the, in the no side. Um, that's great. And so then what you do is you look at those people and you go, why did these people get to be on the yes side? Why were these people the most wonderful clients? And you just start making lists. What, what mm -hmm. is it about them? Same for the no. And when you do that, you're going to see really clear patterns and you end up with your own boundaries around mm -hmm. these are the people that I work with. You can even make a statement to yourself before any kind of consultation with somebody when they're reaching out to you. And you can make a statement from your yes side. I work with people who are this, this, and this, right? Yeah. I work with people who are motivated, ready to invest the full amount and, you know, whatever the other thing is. And then mm. you, you also know what your no's are. And so your no's sometimes can be very clear in black and white, like, Jacqueline, if you don't work with brands that don't exist, people who don't have a brand yet, that's right. really simple. And the thing is, is yeah. you can filter those folks out before you even ever get on a call with them. You right. know, um, I mean, you can even have that on your website. We don't work with, you know, brand new right. businesses. I don't work with, I don't work with new businesses, for example. It's just simply not what I do. So I don't right. even end up. I don't even end up in a position of, of, a, of a sales conversation with somebody. Right. Right. Um, so that's your bl black and white stuff is easy. You can just filter them out. Yeah. But then there also can be other red flags, like somebody, you know what I mean? People who are responsive. And so you actually want to put pieces in place in your process of, I call it your sales, it's a sales process. It's not what I call mm -hmm. it. Your sales process is how you, you know, take a lead and turn them into a client. And you want to have filters in place through that so that you're weeding out the very clear, you know, no's. And then you're having, you're able to have conversations and really determine, is this a yes client or a no client? I think that like you're beating yourself up. And I think that actually having clarity there would yeah. make it much, much easier for you, right? Yes. To actually go, oh, this is a no client. And therefore, and then you just kindly refer them elsewhere. Try to, if you don't have 
already other people that you can refer to who do work with, for example, new people or someone else. You know, you could just have your own list and you can say, I'm not the right person to work with you, but here's a list of people I recommend. You know, mm. very, very simple. Um, so that's number one. <laughs> and oh, I mean, that's already very helpful. I've got to say. Uh, Helps a lot. Just, just even knowing, just even the reassurance of that. Essentially, you just articulated that all of these things that were going on for me are are kind of my yes no list or the beginnings of that. Really, that, that like it's almost already started just in the process of going through this one experience. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you mentioned before. You know, I talk about something called the freelancer mindset, and that's where yes. you're, you're hovering right now is in the freelancer yes. mindset, which is the I, what I call the freelancer mindset is this idea that like. Um, you know, I'm here to get hired by anyone who will hire me, right? That's what freelancers yes, are too. Like they don't I am in this the, the trap. Yeah, the freelancer mentality is such that you don't realize like I own a company. Right. I lead this company. I determine right. who my clients are and how I work with people and what my prices are. A freelancer is kind of shopping around and you're just taking on bosses left and right, right? You're getting hired by people and doing what they say. And if you own your own business, we don't want you to be a freelancer. We want you to be the leader of right. your business, the leader of your business. That's how you're going to take it to where you want it to be rather than just uh, following other people's agendas. So this is so f figuring out who your yes and no clients are is a really important step in in stepping into leadership of your business, you know? Yeah, yeah. I love that. And I love that you say that. I love that you said that about stepping into leadership because I think so many people can relate to the idea of technically being the leader of their business, but not necessarily feeling like the leader of their business, right? That it feels like like being beholden to, a, I mean, you said that so perfectly, being beholden to a number of different bosses. You're taking on different bosses everywhere. There, I, I, Something I would love to say about that is um, we don't feel it because we're not doing it. But as soon yeah. as you start doing it, you will feel it. Right. Yes. It's not a like when this happens, I will feel like the leader of your business. No, you just start doing these things and you will feel like the leader of your business. Everything is, you know, it's just the whole like the whole idea that courage isn't lack of fear. Courage is like doing the thing, even though you're scared. And there's a um, there's a snowball effect for your behaviors both, oh, I mean, you probably know this deeply as a nutritionist, right? Both, both positive and negative. So when you do things, or for example, when you say, when you turn away somebody who is clearly a no client, that actually is a positive snowball in that it makes you feel empowered and gives you this confidence that like, you know, that you now have space for the right person to show up and you're going to go do the things to help that right person show up and to make the space for that. Right? right. Also, when you're keeping your client list to only your yes clients, the amount of success that you get to experience is exponential compared to right. when you're working with people who aren't a fit, right? Or who are going to be already who you're talking about, you know, this, mm -hmm. This brand demanding uh, demanding a meeting, an urgent meeting, right? right? When you're working with those kind of no clients, it drags you down, and it actually makes you question your effectiveness, your effectiveness as a practitioner, your effectiveness as a leader, and that that's just takes you in that negative snowball. So we just want to do the positives and know that like the more positive actions you take, the more, what did you say? You said a few minutes ago about the business, like 
business begets more business or something, right? Yes. It's the yeah. same. It's the same with like leadership action in your business. You do, you do the scary things that are stepping into leadership. You more and more will experience leadership and, and be taking your business forward. It'll be positive, positive momentum, you know? Oh, I love to hear that so much. I, I can't tell you how valuable that is. I really think so many people are going to feel that way too. Can I, make, can I make a yeah. really quick suggestion for what yeah, to do please. with these folks, whoever yes. it is? Yes. You said you haven't please. signed anything. What yeah. I would do is take whatever the price that is way, way, way too discounted and yeah. say, I can offer you a consultation, like a single consultation where you basically yeah. give them the instructions for what they need to go do. You don't do any of it. Like you just don't take them on. Do you know what I mean? So you meet with them yes. once and give them a one, a one, like a one hour consultation. And that's that. And then for a fee, for that, for that fee, that, that fee, I, whatever that listened. fee was. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, okay. I actually know nothing about what services you yes. did and talk to them about, but yeah. And I don't know how cheap we're talking about here, yeah. but uh, I was yeah. imagining there was some continued engagement where you're really helping them in some continued capacity. So forget that, make it yeah. a one, one hour thing and where you will lay out for them like a blueprint, but they take notes. All you do is tell them. Joanna, I mean, that is a game changer. Folks, Joanna Sapir, I mean, find her, follow her, work with her. That is a fantastic idea. And I would not have thought of that really on my own. I, I just wouldn't have. I just wouldn't have occurred to me. I would have thought, let me just give them one thing. Like, I'll just go work on it, which is another issue that I have that <laughs> they're not weigh everyone down with, which is like all of my issues. But I, I do I do actually think that this is something that is, um, I've seen this be very, very common among dietitians. And I wonder if it's common among people that you work with, which is that a lot of a lot of us in in my field, and certainly those of us who have had any experience working in private practice, something that made me shy away from individual client work is that I am naturally very invested. I just am. I just when I especially when I work with a client, it's just it's very hard for me to not. And, and I'll give you a great example of this. I had a client earlier this year who I absolutely loved, <laughs> and who was a fantastic client. Like did everything. That we always that we talked about. The issue for me was that beyond the session, I was doing a lot of homework. Like I was researching a lot of products, and the the client had some very specific needs and did not does not live in my geographical area, which is great because I love supermarkets. So anytime I get to look into what's available at, at you know name the state that has a local chain, right? Like anytime I get to look into what's at your Safeway versus my Dagestino, that's exciting to me. But after a while, you realize that perhaps you're not being compensated in quite the way that you should be. Not because, and, and I, and it's also quite a question, Joanna, and I know that you can speak to this because this really is your true wheelhouse, but it, in some ways, I feel like I'm charging perhaps the right amount for the session, but the after work, the work that's going on after the fact is where I feel like I can't charge them anymore because I'm really at sort of like the high point of what I'd normally charge for this. And I feel like, but I'm, but I'm working a lot on this and it takes up quite a, quite a chunk out of a day versus having some of this automated. But I can't automate it until I know what that client actually needs, right? And then I also feel like I don't want to cheapen the experience of that the client gets by automating everything when uh, when they're already paying me sort of at the top of their budget also. So there's a lot there for you to respond to. <laughs> I feel like we'll start wherever, wherever you feel comfortable. 
Okay, let's just let's make the 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 topic just pricing in general and yes. how to price your services. I love it. Um, so your pricing, you know, unfortunately, cannot be based on what you think is okay to charge or what other people are charging mm-hmm. or what people can afford or what you think people will pay. Like your pricing has to be based on what how your business can be profitable. Period. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you don't have a business, right? I mean, right. And so your your pricing is really really key here. And so mm-hmm. I will just kind of share briefly how I um, initiate uh, pricing strategy with my clients is that we use a calculator that the inputs into the calculator are number one, what is your ideal schedule? Mm. That is truly how much do you want to be working and are you willing to work? Yeah. Um, and it's interesting because when given that freedom, a lot of practitioners still choose quite a few hours. Do you know what I mean? Like I, um, but many people are so in the mode of, well, the more I work, the more I make. So I need to be working 40 hours a week or they're coming out of some kind of corporate background or like 40 hours a week. And it's like, no, erase all that and just go truly, truly in your ideal life and your ideal life schedule. How much do you want to be working? Okay. So most people fall somewhere in the like 18 to 30 hour a week range. That sounds beautiful to me. (laughs) So based on that, we actually, okay. and this is a surprise to a lot of people, but if you're a solo practitioner, just running your own business and it's just you, yeah. only half of those hours will be client facing hours. So mm. let's say, you know, uh, you have a 24 hour work week. I think that's what mine is. I work Monday through yeah. Thursday, 9am to 3pm. That's six times four, 24. Yeah. So that's yeah. 12 hours in the week that's client facing. Mm. So your client facing hours have to pay you for the whole business, right? right? So that's pretty important to know. And what are you doing with the other 50% of the hours? That's where you're running your business as the leader. You're doing, you're doing the marketing and the sales and the financial management and the visioning, right? And all all of that. So, um, so we take those inputs is your ideal schedule from that. We're looking at your client facing hours. Then we look at your business expenses. So how much Mm. does it cost to run your business? And included in there is what is your ideal monthly salary? And what we Mm. want you to be on is a salary. So that is included in your business expenses. And then the last piece we put in there is is your profit, your profit margin. So a lot of people, I think this is totally backwards, but a lot of people will say, will think about their business as I take in this much and I put, I have to spend this much to run the business and whatever's left over is my pay. Yeah. It's like, no, that's everyone I know not, is doing that. Yes. Okay. That's not <laughs> how it works. I mean, whatever, anybody can right. say their own way that they try to make it work, but that's right. not really going to work. So what we want again is your salary to go in the business expenses. Mm-hmm. And then there should be extra left after that. That's the profit part. So we want mm-hmm extra to be there every month and you get to make your own profit goals and build towards them. But I'll just note that why extra, the extra is the profit and why have that there? Well, number one, build up a business savings account so that for any, if anything happens, you have extra. I mean, when COVID Mm -hmm. hit, anybody who had business savings was in a much Mm -hmm. better position than anyone else. Mm -hmm. Anything can happen, right? So business savings, it's also where you can, since we're about to talk about pricing, it's also Mm -hmm. where you 
can fund scholarships or subsidized payments if there's a certain population that you want to serve for less than what your actual right. prices are. So a lot of people do have that goal of having a social impact model where yeah. they're able to offer right. scholarships. So your pricing needs to come out of that. That's just the straight numbers. That has nothing to do mm. with like how you feel about things or, you know, what the market says or any of that. We just, you just got to look at the straight numbers. And the fact is, even though this has never happened to me when I'm looking with a client, um, you're looking at those numbers may show you, oh, there's no way the market can handle what I would need to charge in order to make what I want. Like if you say, I want to make 25,000 a month and I only want to work 10 hours total in my business a week as a solo one-on-one, one-on-one practitioner, it's the numbers, those numbers aren't going to fly. But, but I I will just say this. I have many, many clients work uh, making 10 to 15,000 a month consistently as solo practitioners, not nobody else in their business Mm -hmm. on, on about 20, 25 hours a week. So that's totally possible. I just want to say. Okay. So just cut out. I'm going to ask you to say that one more time, Joanna, because of course it just cut you out. As you were saying, you've got a number of clients making 10 to 15,000 a month. And then I lost you. Okay. Yeah. Well, I have a num- so I have a number of clients who are solo practitioners completely yeah. on their own. You know, I have some clients mm-hmm. who have whole practices with multiple practitioners in them right, and so on. Right. But many, many solo practitioners making ten to $15,000 a month consistently only working 20-ish hours a week. So I just want to say that's possible because I yeah. just gave the, it, you know, yeah. I, just gave, I just gave a, you want to work 10 hours a week and make 25000 Like that. Right. That, no, that's, that, that's that would beautiful. Be that so, makes complete sense. Yeah. Yeah. So the pricing issue. So first you got to get your pricing dialed in to actually be profitable. Next, when you're talking about this client out and the research you had to do, this mm. goes back to that yes, no clients thing, right? This goes back yeah. to like, who are those ideal clients? And one of the reasons besides energetically, like where we're giving too much of ourselves and so on. One of the reasons besides energetically we want to choose yes, no clients is so that we can systematize and streamline our services as, you know, as simply as possible. Mm. And so if, um, if doing the, if you enjoy, if having somebody online who's in another part of the country, they hit all your yes stuff for all these reasons, but that is just this one thing that is, you know, takes up more of your time, then you actually price your services for anybody who's that you, you're going to have to do that research, which you're going to know ahead of time that's built into the total price. And so that kind of points to, I don't, I don't know if we've talked about this on the episode yet, yeah, um, yeah. but I, I really am a strong, strong proponent of moving away from session-based services. Yeah, so instead of, right. yeah, so instead of selling your services in terms of session, like a session or session by session or a pack of sessions that you instead develop a container or a journey or a plan mm-hmm. for your yes clients based on where they are now and where they want to go. Mm-hmm. And so that plan, again, the more you're honed in on who your ideal clients are, then it becomes really clear. Like it's basically one plan. You're, you're making one plan that of course right. gets customized as you're working with them, but it's still right. the same basic process for every client. Mm-hmm. Right. And so your research that you have to do on the back end on their grocery stores is just 
built into that whole plan and you're being compensated right. totally fairly for it. And the thing is, you said you really like this person, you like working with them. Mm. When you're compensated properly, fairly, when you're yeah. compensated well, that's actually how we want to price your services where you're so you're getting paid so well that you're happy to actually even sometimes go out of your way for somebody when they need it, even though they don't expect it, because right. you're totally getting compensated fairly and, and you love working with them because they they were a yes client that you let in and you knew they were a yes client, you know, and, and you so know it all I, along. So if, if I could push you on this to just give us some examples of containers or, or packages as as I saw, I think it was packages is the word that you used on your website that I loved because I feel like that really speaks to what so many of us should be doing and aren't doing. <laughs> yeah. What what is a package look like versus the session based pricing? Yeah. Well, so programs, packages, treatment mm. plans. I, yeah. I probably, probably nutrition in terms of treatment plans, but I work right. with a lot of body workers or acupuncturists, yeah. you know, who would use that language. So all those, I, I use those words interchangeably. What, what this is not is a pack of sessions, like an arbitrary pack of yeah. 10 sessions. It's not that. So this is a plan. So tell me, Jacqueline, what is, um, what do, what do some of your best clients, what do they come to you for? These are nutrition clients. Yes. Okay. So I work with a lot of weight loss clients. I work with a lot of, um, for example, this person that I was referencing was a low sodium diet client, which is a tricky one for a lot of people just because it's not as clear from a marketing standpoint, particularly with products, um, what that really looks like. But they're not that common. Like that, that's been a little bit of a part of my issue is that that's not the most common thing. And also with nutrition, and this has been my resistance, Joanna, and like not to take us off topic, but this has been my resistance to the whole niching concept is that in nutrition, people will say that they have one specific issue, but actually when they're your client, they have multiple issues that mm -hmm. we need to work on at the same time. So this person is a low sodium diet client and also a diabetic client. So someone with diabetes that we're also managing that as well. So mm -hmm. those are two things that are happening at the same time. So having those, you know, like that's why it's hard for me to, to envision like the, the concept of having one thing or one sort of programmatic approach when some of these things wind up being issues that you're dealing with based on someone's blood work or based on someone's past medical history or their labs or they're pre they're preparing for a surgical intervention of some type, right? And then I find that one, that one leaves me less room to be systematized, if that makes sense. Yeah. So weight loss, some clinical conditions and some sports nutrition. That's those yeah. are my main client groups. Yeah. So if you were really diving into this, um, mm -hmm. I think you would find that um, the process, so if I were to ask you, you said, you just said sports nutrition. If I were mm -hmm. to ask you, what is the process? Let me back up for a second and say, we go like this. You take somebody, somebody that came to you for sports nutrition or mm -hmm. somebody that came to you uh, as a diabetic, I, mm -hmm. either one, we take mm -hmm. either one. And some, you go and think about somebody who actually you worked with that you really yeah. loved working with. Let's go back to that yes clients list, right? right. Like they were on the yes side if you could have taken them through any process, no matter how long-term, it could be years long if you wanted, yeah. right? But if you could take them through the most ideal process that would meet their needs step-by-step step from day mm -hmm. one, mm -hmm. what would it be? And so I'm not expecting you to answer that right now, but it's <laughs> like if you were to like go actually think of that person 
and think back to, okay, first I do yeah. this and then we do this and then we do this and then we do this, right? And, and yeah. you might end up with phases. That's essentially what I'm talking about with the program. Now, mm -hmm. interestingly, because you have these different markets, diabetic, different from sports nutrition person, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if you actually found that the processes, while the details of what they're doing might be different, Mm -hmm. The process you take them through probably has quite a few parallels. You talked about blood work. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. You talked mm -hmm. about, uh, you know, maybe there's some uh, food journaling to begin. I don't know, whatever it mm -hmm. is, right? But like- Grocery shopping together. So, yeah. Right. Well, so like the first phase may be assessment. Well, that is the same for everybody. Even though what comes out in the assessment is different, you're still doing right. some assessments to begin, right? The yeah. second phase is, you just said, grocery shopping or what mm -hmm. foods to include and what foods to eliminate or whatever it is, right? So even though it's different for every single person, the process is actually parallel. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? Makes total sense. So yeah. if you're working one-on-one -on -one with people, the pro the process is laid out no matter who they are. It's but they're individually. You're still working with them individually on their piece, right? right. So right. it's still um, it's still individualized within a plan. Yeah. If that makes sense. And this actually goes to um, reminds me of well, any of the work I still do now. I have a process that I carry yeah. wellness practitioners through in their business. So one of them is what we just said, identifying who their ideal clients are, right? Well, that looks right. different for everyone, but this process for finding that is still the same and everyone needs it no matter what stage of business they're in. That's like right. your assessments, you know? When right. I owned the gym, we, every client, we had individualized strength and conditioning programming for them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so that's totally individualized. It's written one-on-one -on -one for them, but yeah. still everybody was, had the same um, membership options in terms right. of like, you know, this many days a week and it would look like this. And even within our, our programming, we had the same phases in the programming. Do you know what I mean? Right. It was right, just right, right. what exercises we chose and what weights we chose or whatever were different for each person. So you mm. absolutely can customize within this clear container. It makes it, like you're saying, kind of streamlined and systematized for yeah. you. You know, we're in this phase I spend three weeks in this in this assessment phase. Let's just say that, right? Mm -hmm. and usually in session one, we you know we look at the results together and discuss this. In session two, we lay out this plan. In session three, we do this. And again, you Love can that. tweak it as you're going, you know. But there's still mm -hmm. it's still there. So that's what I mean by programs. And the more the more clear you are on your ideal clients and the more clear you are on on your process, the easier and easier it is to serve your clients really powerfully with yeah. less time and effort on your part. I love that so much. Such a good point. So well said also. And I don't think that I have ever thought about it like that. So I can't tell you how helpful that is because certainly I've only thought I have been in very much a session mindset, right? Which is like, send me your lab work. And then the implication is that I'm looking at that lab work on my own outside of the session in preparation for the session, but I'm not being paid for those hours, right? Like it's that, that the time that I'm being paid for is the session time, which is, I think, something that so many of us are stuck in and that winds up bringing us down a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. For you to identify those things that are dragging yeah. you down, like you yeah. get rid of those and you switch the way you do them. 
whatever, because some people actually would prefer that. Some people would want to look at the lab work on their own, maybe record a loom video where they go over it and just send it to the person and never meet them. But if you would prefer, it sounds like, I'm I'm like you, I I like face-to-face, that's easiest for me. And so if that's how you prefer, that's how you build your services. It should all be based on your, like how you want to be spending your time, how you want to be doing it. I love this concept. Also, though, I did, didn't even occur to me about the loom concept. I, that's <laughs> like, that's a great idea. I could also do that. Right. I mean, that, that is a great idea because that also means that you're billing for that. But the, it's not the expectation that you're going to necessarily do all of this work, this silent work almost. And, and I think so many healthcare practitioners, particularly dietitians that I have been in school with, that I've worked with, feel this way, right? The silent work, the work that no one sees, like the the things that happen behind the scenes that make it really hard to be compensated appropriately. And like, that's a perfect, like the lab work is the perfect example of something where any dietitian I know worth their salt is looking at labs. But to do that means that you're usually looking at them without the patient present, without your client present. And if you're not, it's because you're usually talking about something really specific or saying like, look, look at this here. This is your finger stick from 731 and see how that spiked right after it. Like you're, you're speaking to a very specific example. So I think that's really important. This really goes back to the pricing. So I don't know if I um, mm. said or was clear, but when you put together a program, what you're doing is you're charging for the whole program. So yeah. you're not charging for the sessions, right? You're not right. charging by session. Instead here, you know, you meet with somebody in a consultation as part of the sales process. You right. make sure they're the right fit for you. If they are, you lay out what what their program would be or what the program would be. They join it and it's like, you know, now it's $3,000 instead of maybe it was $200 a session before. So the whole thing is $3,000. It includes all that because it includes your time reading the labs when you're not seeing them. You know what I mean? It's all part of it. And so you're not selling sessions. You're selling the whole, the results they're going to get, which includes all those, all those pieces that are needed. That's so important. You're not selling the sessions. You're selling the results. I think that's critical for my listeners and for me on a personal level. Let me ask you about something else we haven't touched on yet that I think is critical and certainly a critical component for so many of us. And and I mentioned this to you at the beginning, which is that something that I do as a part of my business now is brand partnerships. This has been the least consistent component of business for me, but it is the most lucrative. It's the most meaningful in terms of like actually helping my business sustain itself. So when I get opportunities for brand partnerships, I feel like A, I'm usually taking them unless it's something sort of absurd, like, uh, but it it is typically coming out of a marketing budget of an existing brand. So that, that helps me, even though I know that was probably the wrong way to think about it, (laughs) but it does help me, helps my brain feel a little better. Okay. But I, I think a lot of us are being told more than ever, right? That this is like the social media golden age. And that if you're not online and you're not making videos in the nine by 16 format, all day, every day. What are you even doing with your business? Do you even have a business? (laughs) So let's talk a little bit about marketing and your take on marketing and the amount of of spend from a time and energy standpoint that people should be putting into marketing. Yeah. That's a big one. I mean, I will just say this and you know, you, I think you have Instagram is a a big, Mm -hmm. uh, like marketing platform for you. If any of you listening, go find me on Instagram. You'll discover that like, I am not there. I mean, I exist there, but so I, I I, I just want to say like, 
I love that. I actually love to see that because it does, it's very reassuring. It makes me feel like, oh, there's another way to do business. Yeah, there, there is. And, and mm-hmm. just to say, I have a thriving business and, um, and that just happens to not be a place of lead generation, or maybe there's a little bit of lead nurturing that happens there. So what matters for, right. for marketing is kind of two key components. One is how do you attract new leads? How do you attract attention? And two, how do you nurture your leads? Those mm. are the pieces you need. And you're, you have to be getting new leads you have to be getting in front of new audiences and new eyeballs or new ears or whatever it is in some way. And then you need to be nurturing in some way. And then from there, the third step is the sales pipeline. Just that's how you convert people Mm -hmm. into clients. So you need some activities that do that. And your question was not what activities, but like how much time and effort. The fact is, is that in the beginning of your business, when you're, when you don't have enough clients and you have more time than money, then you're, you're going after it. And, you know, there's going to be a million and one different marketers telling you that their marketing, their way of marketing in this place and that place is the way. And just heads up to everyone, like... That's their job is to market their marketing method. And the fact is is that like you will need to figure out your own ways and what works for you and your business. Mm -hmm. And the part about you is where do you like to put your energy? What do you enjoy? So here I am on your podcast, Jacqueline. This is like a form of lead generation for me. And I happen to really enjoy it. I love getting to meet you and talk to you and, you know, discuss this stuff. So that's a form of that top of funnel attracting leads that is easy for me and enjoyable. And, you know, it feels like nothing. So it's a few Mm -hmm. hours a week that, you know, I might spend doing that. Um, And for me, Instagram is not. But like some people love that, right? So it's like right. if that—that's the you side. Like where, where is what's easy for you, and fe- and you feel like you're in the flow and you enjoy it, and you mm-hmm. need to make it effective. So that's where you'd want to go. Real, really understand how to do it right, and that's where you could go seek, um, you know, people who are really specific to Instagram marketing strategy or podcast guesting mm-hmm. strategy or whatever it is. Yeah. Um. As your business progresses, you want to note always where are your leads coming from and what are the most, what have been the most effective lead generation sources for you and start leveraging that. You don't need mm-hmm. to do everything. So it's kind of like three, three basic things that for your lead, for your lead generation is all you need. And one of those is your website and SEO, you know, so that's pretty yeah. basic. Um, website SEO, I should say, and we can throw e- your email list into there. So that that's um, that can count as one, but maybe two two other uh, strategies or platforms or ways that you're attracting new leads, and then a nurturing process. So that nurturing also can be social media, can be your email list, something that is um, encouraging people and inviting them to take next steps with you. Um, yeah. Whether that's scheduling a consultation or coming to a workshop or something like that. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, as always, we wanted this all to be easy. I think that in business, the hardest thing is the part of finding, finding like what is the most effective thing for me before you just kind of give up. Like, I mean, somebody might be like, I heard five day challenges are the way to do it. And they go try a five day challenge and it doesn't go great. And then they just move on to the next thing. Well, like you, you'll never get anywhere. Like if you're just 
try, 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 try. It's like, you got to actually decide what am I going to put some effort into, into here? And the thing is fa failure, I'll say, or things not going that well are is such an excellent teacher. Do you know what I mean? Like if, since I just gave that example, if I ran a five day challenge and, you know, let's say the results weren't everything I wanted, there's still so much to learn from it. Did I enjoy it? Did I enjoy running it? Um, what did people get from it? What did happen? Why didn't it go as well as I want, you know, wanted to look at all of that to determine what can be learned from this. Do I want to try that again and tweak a bunch of things? Do I want to shift the whole thing, take the parts that I really liked about it and put them in something new or do it some new way? Like all of it's a learning experience. And, um, and eventually you get to a place where it's like, here's how we do this, you know? Oh. I love hearing that. I mean, I think something that, that I can only imagine so many of us are struggling with is the, the component of it that is, oh, like I just lost so much time. I think that's the fear of failure in it for any soul practitioner, right? Is the, the like, what I'm never going to get that time back feeling. Yeah. I, um, and, and, and <laughs> yes, I love that. I love this already. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is where I really, when people come to me, people come to me with wonderful visions of their, of this brand they're going to build and this, you know, this YouTube channel or Instagram following they're going to have and all this. And it's like wonderful. And I really, and maybe this goes back to the fact that my businesses has, have had to support me and my family, but yeah. the number one thing is how are you going to make money right now as much as you can to support yourself and support your business? Like that's number one. And the fact is, is that you can be making money and getting clients without big marketing machines going without any like big following you. It's one person at a time. If you do one-on-one -on -one services, you know, and that's like your whole business with the right pricing and the right packaging could yeah. be completely funded with like 20 clients a year, which is just not that much. You don't need to be building a big audience for that. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, do the right things in the right order. And what I wanted to say is you just don't need to be perfect. You don't need mm -hmm. to look all shiny and perfect on the outside in order to be serving people and helping them and making good money doing it. I love that. Joanna, I really can't thank you enough. I have to let you go. So I have to ask you our last question, which is what is the most annoying thing that you have seen in wellness? And you are truly, you're truly an expert on this. <laughs> Someone who's worked with many practitioners from all different backgrounds. I think you're truly the person we need to hear from on this. What is the most annoying thing in wellness you have seen so far in 2023? I, well, I knew you were going to ask me this and I knew right away. Let's see. The, the question is how to articulate it. It's not just 2023, but like in 2023, it's, yeah. it's, I mean, it just happens over and over and over. There's waves of it of when some certain, like the, some, something shows up in the wellness sphere and then it becomes a trend and then it gets completely watered down and, and distorted and and away from any yeah. of its real meaning and then it's just and then it and then it becomes meaningless even if there was some merit in it to begin with a uh, couple examples i mean one is like any diet since we're we're on yeah. a nutrition podcast here it's like you know you see something like i mean years ago it was paleo and now it's keto <laughs> and it's like 
okay, there's principles of it. Got it. And then you start seeing products at stores, like being like keto. And I look at it and I'm like, (laughs) I don't know how this qualifies as keto. Like, and then people completely don't even know what the whole thing's about, but it's like, because the label says it on there, it's just pure marketing and they're just buying this. And in the mental health space, even physical, even physical and body work stuff, you know, trauma and nervous system Mm -hmm. stuff is really, really popular right now. And it's so important. I work with, I work with amazing practitioners who are true experts in like the neuroscience of the nervous system. And they are really, really know what they're doing. But now in the common mainstream vernacular, people are throwing around these terms and don't really understand what they mean. And so it gets watered down when it's like, there's really important concepts there. And instead you have just regular lay people being like, oh, I need to calm my nervous system. And it's like, no, that's not actually, that's not what you think that is. I mean, um, so. It's so well said. It's perfect. I, I This might be, listeners, I don't know how you feel, but this might be my favorite answer I've heard in a long time. I've got, I think you said it perfect because you've encapsulated so many different things so perfectly in in one answer right there. Love it. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a bummer for people who yes. really are in the science, you know, really and is. really know what they're doing, because then it it becomes a fad when actually there's some real like important ideas in there, you know, important concepts. Completely true, Joanna. I can't thank you enough for being here. Tell our listeners where they can find you and learn more about how to work with you. Yeah. So, um. Let me look at this. I think that we have a, yeah, we have yes. a free gift for your listeners. Love it that. Is, yes. Yeah, so I have a free masterclass where I am teaching the like three pillar business systems you need for your business to be more sustainable and more profitable. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have that for you at uh, joannasapir.com slash W-O-B. I am definitely attending that. I'm going to include that in our episode notes and I will see you there. <laughs> Okay. I love it. Joanna, thank you so much. I appreciate this tremendously. Really, this has yeah, been really fun talking to you. It's great to be here. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Stop it. It still says it's recorded. Thanks so much for listening to The Business of Wellness. I'm your host and executive producer, Jacqueline London. Remember that advice provided on this podcast is based on my application of research and practice as a registered dietitian and should not replace medical advice provided by your physician. If you like what you're listening to, please follow the show, leave a five-star rating, and share something you love from today's episode by leaving a review. This podcast only grows with your support. So if you enjoyed this episode, share it far and wide. It may be the one thing someone needs to hear to start building that roadmap today to secure a healthier, happier future. That's it for now. So until next time, cheers.